0: Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson and I'm the founder of Stack, the subscription club that delivers a different independent magazine to your door every month. This week I'm speaking with Michael go editor and founder of Tay, a magazine that was first published a couple of years ago in 2021. That first issue caught my eye because it seemed to be doing something clever with food publishing. Its stories are about the different ways that ingredients can travel around the world, or the different values and associations that might be attributed to particular dishes. And so the whole thing seemed to be using the conventions of a food magazine as a sort of Trojan horse for telling stories about people and cultural anthropology. I really enjoyed it, so I was looking forward to picking up issue two at Indicon a few weeks ago, but when I did, I realised that it wasn't about food at all. It was completely different, so I decided I wanted to speak to Michael about the changes that he made from issues one to two, and to find out what this lovely Chinese-English magazine is actually all about. He's living in New York at the moment, so I spoke to him via Zoom last week and it was brilliant to dig into this project and discover the crazy levels of care and attention that goes into making it. You're going to hear some authentic New York honking outside his window, but I've edited that down as much as I can, so I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Michael from Tay. Hey, Michael, it's so lovely to see you again.
1: Yeah, me too, Stephen.
0: So I have now had a chance to read issue two properly and actually understand what it's all about. And I'm really looking forward to getting into the kind of similarities and differences between these issues. But uh, I guess maybe you could start just right at the beginning. Just tell us kind of for anyone who's not seen this magazine before, what is Tay? What is the idea behind
1: the projects okay yeah of course uh so there is uh, a new bilingual publication and oftentimes people ask us like what's the accurate uh the right pronunciation of this mm-hmm. magazine yeah. so we don't really have uh the most <clears throat> accurate pronunciation of it some people call it de, some people call it "day" or "day," but uh so basically the this uh title comes from a southern dialect uh, called Min in Chinese uh, so it was uh, originated from a port called Quanzhou it was uh, they did uh, a lot of trading with Europe in the past times and that's where the English word tea comes from so it was first brought by the Dutch and to all the colonial countries uh by uh, European countries yeah so basically we want to use this word to kind of uh, bring up like two ideas one is the uh, uh globalization because this word it was like a, one of the first word that's uh that is globalized and secondly it also represents a locality because in the majority of China people call it cha only in that specific region people call it day and that's where like half of the world calls it now so uh so I guess this word is an interesting word because most of the Chinese people don't even know this word comes from a dialect
0: right right
1: yeah so so I guess it's very interesting that it not only generates like a globalization idea but also kind of unfold uh like a very local scene Yes. Uh,
0: One of the things I love about the magazine is that so this whole bit that you've just gone through, this is all on like the first page of the magazine, you've not even got to like the editor's letter or anything yet. There's just this piece of text at the bottom of one of like the first pages that explains the provenance of the word tea and how like, you know, that has these implications for globalization and, and like and regionality. And I just I remember like when I read that going like, whoa, I mean, in terms of the value that you're packing into this magazine, you've just like explained this like really quite complex and profound idea on like page one. <laughs> like what, what's the rest of this magazine going to hold for? Me?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, uh, my partner is actually from that region uh, in, in the South. And uh, one day when we will talk about the uh, like how different words pronounced in different regions uh she she said we we call cha like day and Mm. that suddenly makes me link with the English word so I I guess that's a very interesting um comparison yeah yeah
0: yeah absolutely and so then for for issue one I guess maybe inspired by tea as as a starting point you really lean into food and so then you talk about uh, lots of different kind of examples of like con- um, like contemporary arts and cultural anthropology, like revolving around food and showing how food kind of travels around the world, or like it's kind of like maybe the ingredients travel, or maybe the meanings associated with food travel. Um, and so one of the first stories is the the piece on the um, betel nuts, um, which again just kind of like the it. it it expresses such uh, such a kind of complex idea, but so beautifully and simply that may, maybe you could kind of give us a quick run through the Betelnut nut story.
1: Yeah, of course. So uh, first, I would say uh, so the magazine like kind of focus on uh, as you said contemporary art and cultural anthropology because we we have a, a curating background, so we kind of use this project or. Uh, treat day as like a curatorial project as well. So we try to bring up like more multidisciplinary conversations within an issue. So the first one uh it was actually an interview with uh, anthropologist Cao Yu. Uh, he was quite famous because he wrote a book on uh people eating spicy food in China. uh like the history of it, like certain region why it has spicy food people first use the spicy food to uh as uh, basically some regions don't have salt
0: mm-hmm.
1: so they will eat spicy food instead of salt so uh, you know a lot of food you can kind of unfold or like uh, kind of disclose uh, uh like a very rich history behind it so betel nut is another example actually betel nuts in China has a a much longer history than spicy food Mm -hmm. so uh that's how you said he dig in a lot of archives from China from the southern region from the uh uh Macedonia from from India so uh in in this beetle nut people oftentimes in China in the modern society thought think that betel nut is uh represents a certain class because people who have night shift people who work overnight uh like the policemen the truck drivers they normally eat betel nuts in the in the southern region uh but actually throughout our history betel nut can be seen as a uh for example in the ancient India uh the noble people actually consume betel nut and also in the Qing Dynasty Mm. uh the Emperor from the North actually requires betel nuts from the South so it's it's like the certain same type of food but throughout the history the meaning kind of changes Mm. and that's also very like coherent like uh work well with the uh this issues topic
0: Mm-hmm. so so the so betel nut is this it's, it's addictive um, and when you chew it you kind of is it like an amphetamine it kind of like gives you energy and so the like it says in the piece that one of the things uh, one of the main characteristics of chewing betel nut is you get kind of black teeth and yeah. uh, and so as you say it started out it was a thing that was associated with kind of nobility and people who were very well to do these days that's changed and it's much more associated with kind of working class people who need to like stay awake to do their jobs. But one of the things that I found so interesting was the comparison with tobacco and how so, you that know, tobacco, another addictive drug uh, and and that clearly, you know, sort of like that made it over to Europe and the rest of the world and was mm-hmm. incredibly popular and 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 beta didn't so the so what's the kind of what's the thinking there like why didn't this thing travel in that same way
1: yeah because uh nut can only be planned uh in certain regions mm. like near near I would say near the equator uh so southern India and like uh, Indonesia Malaysia and if it go over a bit north of the region it it doesn't really work mm. so uh and also because it makes your teeth black it makes your mouth gets red mm. it's not very pleasure to see <laughs> well red. except,
0: except there's, there's a there's a piece in there about um uh, now where was it in, in austronesia there's a belief that white teeth is kind of like you know white teeth is for animals and that's kind of ugly because animals can't control the color of their teeth whereas yeah. humans you know like we, we're sophisticated we're able to change the color of our teeth so the in a particular culture that changes and actually black teeth becomes a desirable thing
1: yeah right it's just like he brings up this uh, anthropological view mm. of like from two different angles so before the before the western uh ideology dominates the world so i guess different regions have different opinions on like on the appearance on the looks uh but now it's kind of um uh, uh all all the same mm. so um so so i think it's very interesting and uh towards the end of the chapter we put a photo of a vietnamese old lady Mm-hmm. smiling with her uh, betel nuts teeth so <laughs> so we just want to use this photo to kind of show at different angles different views mm-hmm. on, on chewing betel nuts so not only about like di- uh, different regions but different period of history and um yeah so so i guess this is. An, very interesting idea to to Yeah, move. I
0: know I, I loved it and I, and I loved the idea of seeing a food magazine because of course like all right you know we all know what food magazine is but I love the idea of presenting a food magazine that is also dealing with this kind of cultural anthropology and, and like you know showing how something simple like food can tell you something about people so that the, that all kind of made a lot of sense for me and then we were at IndyCon um, a couple of weeks ago and we were sitting on the table next to each other. Uh, and I bought a copy of your magazine thinking, great. I can't wait to see w- what food stories have we got this time. <laughs> and imagine my surprise when we opened it up and they actually the second issue is nothing to do with food. So this one's all about sound.
1: Yeah. So for the sound issue, because, uh, uh maybe I can talk a little bit more about how do we choose a topic so the reason we decided on the food issue was because uh we have some artists and anthropologists we really like and we like our working method is we'll start to talk with them to see what they've been up to what research topic are they doing recently so many people actually uh wanted to talk about food in 2021 Mm. because it was during the pandemic during the lockdown people stay at home and they started to kind of treat food as a very important subject people started to cook a lot start to have like friends gatherings uh to kind of really doing the discovery on food because they are like the artists are normally very sensitive to what happened around them Mm. so think it's a very great entry point uh to start with food and and for the second issue uh we were actually inspired very directly by the first uh article by a Myanmar artist called Mossad so he was uh actively engaged in the uh, Myanmar revolution in uh 2021 and uh, 2022 as well and uh so he been written like a journal throughout the the period of the revolution and how this sound play as a very important part in that revolution because I was uh, really intrigued by one of his videos actually it was his son in his balcony his son might be like uh like 10 years old uh hitting like a metal pan and shout very loudly uh so the sound can uh, really like uh, kind of penetrate the darkness so it really uh, shocked me and gives me this idea of doing a sound issue because um, 2022 uh, also had like a lot of revolutions mm. and people have using sound as a way to kind of engage with like social movements as well mm. and, uh, and also it's worth to mention that uh, during the Myanmar revolution afterwards the government kind of banned the activity of hitting pots and pans so they started with a silence protest silence strike which people don't go on the streets anymore people don't make any sort of sound as a way to uh demonstrate their anger to mm. uh to protest so that's also really inspired me that making sound is not only making sound itself it's kind of becomes an action mm. of like a choice of if you want to make sound or not yeah. becomes like everyone's uh rise everyone's choice so that really uh gives me the motivation of keep discovering sounds throughout the history like following the same method as the first issue like mm. what can sound bring up when we look at the different parts of the world, different parts of the history and also associated with different technologies.
0: Mm, mm, mm. And, and so it, it struck me reading that second issue. I mean, obviously the theme is different because it's not food, it's talking about sound, but also whereas the approach of the first issue, it it seems, is tracing food across uh space and across time. So that you know it's like migrating to a different place or or, or maybe you're looking at something that changed over time. It feels like with the second issue, it's not so much about sound traveling. It's more about sound affecting things. So the so, so like you know like the protest movements that you talk about. It's because you have the the uh, Myanmar um, story first, and then you go straight into um, a piece on protest movements in Taiwan in the '90s. And the, it felt like it's much more about kind of showing how yeah communities can use sound to affect the world and change things
1: yeah right because of falling with the Myanmar artist piece uh we we got uh like uh interview with the labor exchange band so they kind of uh was active in the 90s and they actually organized this band because of the uh, anti dam mo- movement in the 90s in uh, southern region of Taiwan, so uh, they only sing in uh, in their local language Hakka. So they will uh, they actually also use a very anthropological method, like they would talk with farmers, they would talk with the local villagers to get uh, sound recorded, uh, because they actually came from that village, but they went to Taipei for universities so they kind of have this very uh liberal knowledge but also they have the root of the of the region so we want to uh add this piece after the uh the uh Mossad's piece because we kind of want to give a a hope or like a a experience that uh it was actually a very successful experience because the the revolution actually um uh, stop the uh the, the construction of the dam mm. and uh yeah so labor exchange band they would like sing along with the villagers during that time and also organize different events using sound using music as a way to uh engage with people to really um kind of push uh the the process of the movement and uh, they also mentioned that they inspired by uh, like people like Bob Dylan and during the like 60s and 70s mm-hmm. uh but using this kind of way to really uh, in a local context as well mm-hmm. no just copying the Western uh way of of like doing music and sing and with uh community engagement but uh when when they come back to the to the southern region how would they engage with that context that society
0: mm, mm, mm. and and the, and because all of this is presented in both english and is it mandarin yeah so it's so all, all of the stories are in english and mandarin so it feels like there's even some kind of exchange going on there because you're going to have a bunch of english readers like me who are being presented with stories uh, that they probably haven't come across before and then probably in other places in the magazine like the um where you <laughs> have the uh, sculptures uh in yugoslavia i imagine that there are probably like chinese readers are then going to come across stories that they might not have come across before is that it, it why did you why is it important to you because it must be a huge amount of work why is it important to you to present this magazine in both english and mandarin
1: yeah because I said um I I guess the title explains everything that's um like we did this magazine during a pandemic we felt like a loss of connection with the rest of the world because people don't meet anymore there's very uh, like strict like very a lot of restrictions on traveling and meeting people so different regions, for example, China during the pandemic is actually trying to develop their own language, their own ideology. And it kind of reminds me of a period of time in Qing Dynasty, where uh, the emperor starts to decide to not to trade with uh, the, the, re- the rest of the world, kind of lock down the country. Hmm. And uh, people don't know what's happened uh, outside of the world and I guess that's uh, how we felt a little bit during the pandemic so this magazine was actually a way that we can start to talk with people in different areas and to understand what uh, they're actually researching about what they are actually thinking about Mm. and so we also want to make this a bilingual language because as you said it's very difficult and uh, also adding a, a lot of cost a lot of time and it's really difficult to find a right translator mm-hmm. but um, like f- first of all I guess we want to keep the original text because we want to keep the uh, originality of the the words and the language but we also want people from different parts of the world to be able to see it mm-hmm. to be able to uh kind of uh, on the on the same page mm. and, and
0: it feels like you're doing something as well with the languages because you know these are all they're quite um they're quite complex stories and they're not presented often in a very simple way so you'll have the two languages you have the the English characters and the Mandarin and sometimes you use uh, maybe underlining to pick bits out, or boxes, or key lines, and it kind of feels like the two languages are kind of like flowing around each other, and they're or like you're kind of trying to draw the reader through stories, and then in, like you'll turn the page, and the next story will be presented differently, and it's it's more like ah now you want me to kind of stop here a, a little bit. What well, what's the thinking with the different approaches to graphic design with the two languages?
1: yeah actually our designer is called Ken Yang, and she's actually uh teaching in the Royal College of Art mm-hmm. right now uh photographic design and we met uh yeah we met really like a lot of difficulties when we do the design layouts because um the Latin characters mm-hmm. and the Chinese characters they are not matching sometimes mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what i mean it's not like doing a bilingual magazine with french and english
0: yeah it's, yeah, exactly yes. yeah. like
1: the chinese block words with the english words so so i guess um the designer also like thought a lot about it like for example when she chose the fonts she she tried to make these two like uh can be harmonized together and also uh she kind of uh we we sometimes also actually get criticized by the by the layout. It's like too <laughs> too too tense, too like it people say it's too intense to yeah. read. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I guess um uh that's the best we can do with bilingual publications that uh and we also use the like two different fonts to try to bring like a more dynamic layout um and in terms of the uh uh accessibility of reading I think uh the the second issue actually improves a lot like the the words are not very very dense and uh there are they left a lot of space
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look, I, I would say it definitely is intense. It's an intense reading experience. But then I feel like that's an important part of the reading experience. The You know, it's kind of it It, it feels like you're saying, look, this is not necessarily a very uh, easy story to tell. This is a complicated story. It's complex. But like, stick with us and we're, we're going to sort of like get through this. There, there's one story uh, in the second issue uh, and it's the South Korean artist, um, Teresa Hak-Hyung Cha. And that I think is the only one where you have the English text and then completely separately afterwards the Mandarin. Is the like, w- was there a feeling about that story that it just doesn't work to have the two languages intertwined?
1: Yeah, because uh, consider how, how many like footnotes they have uh <laughs> footnote, it has it has like 20 i'll say 20 more than 20 footnotes if we do both language together and the footnotes together that will be a really will be a mess <laughs> so, so we really give up on the idea of love like, merging these two together
0: yeah so, yeah that, okay that makes sense so the and uh, that we should also uh, mention the actual physical and um, production of the magazine because it's just a lovely thing to like to hold in the hand it's it's got the swiss binding so that uh the pages can open completely flat like so they you know they're sort of like presented as uh as beautiful spreads and do i remember you saying that the first issue that some of the papers had like cotton um in them
1: yeah actually in the first few pages we used a special paper called tea paper mm-hmm. so it's kind of mixed with a little bit of tea leaves and you can oh, actually, you could actually smell it a little bit before it printed out but now it's like, like with the with the ink smell you cannot really
0: oh okay all right okay, yeah. okay. and i'm now here dutifully sniffing my magazine um, So, the, <laughs> yeah. so the, these are the kind of like the slightly kind of greenish um papers yeah which, which now you mention it, they totally are like the color of green tea. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So 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 like I guess this then is also looking at this magazine. You've talked about it as like a curatorial uh, project. This is also then a magazine as like an art project because you're saying like, you know, the, we're, we're not just going to put this on like some nice paper that you can read there. There's actually like a real kind of meaning behind the materials that you're using.
1: Yeah, when we uh, choose papers, we really want to choose some papers that can carry a lot of history or carry a lot of uh, archival photos, because our photos are very has like a huge variety, but a, a lot of them are like historical photos, so we try to use glossy paper on like uh pure photography presentations for example the first issue we use like glossy paper for Wolfgang Tillman's piece and for the second issue we used a kind of glossy paper on the last piece the uh uh last and first man mm-hmm. and uh for the rest we used either tea paper or the cotton paper you mentioned mm-hmm. uh to kind of have this thickness uh which represent history and culture uh and also not very bright we we are not a big fan of uh, very bright images and that's also we we had a lot of arguments with the uh uh uh, printing guy because when we went to the uh, printing factory to kind of watch for the printing pro process uh the guy who actually does the printing he has a certain sense of uh, beauties so or he has certain sense of aesthetic of what image looks more beautiful um so he kind of um uh, has the <laughs> yeah, he's not very uh satisfied with our like with our images sometimes he,
0: he wanted to brighten your images he wanted some some more sunshine in there
1: yeah 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 he does and he's uh a, he's a, also he doesn't really like the cotton paper he said there's a, too much texture so mm-hmm. it's really affecting the images but but I mean we really like the way it presents yeah, yeah. yeah. so we and have so, to keep watching what he does throughout the print. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, so, yeah. so so you print in China yeah and so I mean it feels to me like well first of all it would be a lot more expensive to make to print a magazine like this uh for example over here in the uk um so i imagine that price is like a, a constraint is the like it is price the reason why you do it or is it kind of like the expertise or the you know what what makes you print in china
1: uh i would say both like first the, the price is definitely going to be cheaper mm. and uh especially uh during the pandemic uh sometimes uh is uh like the all the materials all the printing materials the cost really raised and we also want to be uh presentable we also want to like watch the whole process of printing mm-hmm. uh, because sometimes they will make mistakes and we are not aware of it and uh there are always some mistakes actually and if you are not there there is very scary <laughs> yeah. yeah too right
0: the, you you said you mentioned uh in Hamburg when you were giving a talk you you talked about it's getting more and more difficult to print in China as an independence
1: yeah because they re- really require a Chinese ISBN it's like different uh, with the international ISBNs uh in order to get a Chinese ISBN you need to uh before printing you need to send your design layout you need to send all the contents to uh, go through the censorship system mm-hmm. which they will censor i would say maybe a quarter to half of your content mm-hmm. uh, so we really don't want that to happen and it also takes a year so we'll not be an annual magazine we'll be a like biannual magazine <laughs> <laughs> Yeah and so we just try to avoid this system but uh some uh, printing printing companies they are really strict on you have to get this chance as being so we can do the printing but sometimes they don't necessarily require but in in the recent times especially for this year uh the factories the the companies who doesn't require the chance as is being less and less especially mm. those who can do art printings mm. because there are only maybe a few uh printing companies that work closely with like galleries museums they can do a very good job on uh like art printing art catalogs uh yeah and uh we try we also trying to as independent publishers thinking about different ways to kind of um avoid going to the censorship system
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so it sounds like what well, clearly you're you're finding your way around it at the moment but uh it's, it's getting more difficult um, Yeah, do you so yeah i mean this is a um a, a magazine that comes out every year that i presume means that you're already working on issue three are you, are you able to say anything yet about what that will be about and, and when it will be out
1: yeah of course so issues three is um uh, focusing on more more on the psychological side of people so we experienced the pandemic uh, especially in china towards the end of last year and we suddenly had an open up so many people got affected uh within a month it's it was very crazy and many people uh just after the pandemic after January this year people stopped talking about it but actually we noticed that many people have this uh, psychological problem have this trauma uh, after pandemic and uh in especially in the Eastern Asian society people don't really like to talk about their bad experience or their trauma people like prefer to keep it uh, to themselves but actually may cause many problems Mm. Uh, so we kind of want to use this as our motif to also uh, go look for artists who go look for like anthropologists who does similar research or or, or finding out uh like what happened in in recent times uh with people and what's interesting is that uh i recently discovered this uh new realm called uh medicine anthropology so so this subject is uh, also very very recent subject that uh Looking at uh, different parts of the world, like how they use medicine uh, as a way, or like curing as a way to uh, kind of work with the the local community, Mm -hmm. and how how different communities treat medicine, treat the way of uh, curing. Yeah, and. we are starting to look at more of uh, on this side and look for more anthropologists does similar stuff
0: amazing wow well look I, I'm really looking forward to seeing that uh, when it's ready when when do you expect that to come
1: out um I guess maybe early next year but we will probably delay because <laughs> yeah because uh, uh I guess this year people are really busy with their own projects uh so in terms of the translation in terms of how uh like the like the work schedule is like i i assume it will delay
0: yeah uh, yeah 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 but well, look we're, this is the beauty of independent publishing it, it will it will come out when it's ready to come out
1: yeah we'll still prepare like use our 100% energy to prepare this and um yeah we are excited for the results
0: fantastic um it's so nice talking to you again and thanks for taking the time uh and good luck with issue three
1: okay thank you stephen
0: all right that's all for this week i'd like to say thanks again to michael for making the time to speak with me I had no idea that there are tea leaves mixed into the paper in this magazine, and I love the fact that he'll go to those sort of extremes to produce this totally distinctive publication. If you listened all the way to the end of last week's episode, you'll know that I'm trying something new with this season of the podcast and trying to sell some more subscriptions along the way. So if you use the code PODCAST when you subscribe... You'll save 10% on our normal prices, and I will thank you by name at the end of next week's episode. Now, I'm afraid that nobody used the code last week, but that's okay. The episode has only been listened to a few hundred times, so, I mean, that's just not many people to start from. But it also occurred to me that I didn't actually explain what Stack is. So, in case you're not familiar with us... Every month, we pick a different independent magazine and deliver it to our subscribers around the world. You never know what you're going to get next, but you do know it will be a beautiful, intelligent, independent magazine that you probably wouldn't otherwise have come across. So, if you want to have a fresh magazine delivered every month, go to stackmagazines.com and use the code PODCAST to save 10% on our normal prices and to have me thank you in next week's episode. Okay. I think that was better. Let's see if it works. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening to this episode and we'll be back with another one next week.